0: Welcome back to The Culture of Safety. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Good, Joe. How are you? Oh, just another beautiful day. We had uh, it out here in California, we just had those hurricanes and we had an earthquake. So yeah, it was a pretty, pretty eventful weekend.
1: <laughs> what is going on out there? Was the hurricane bad? Was there
0: a lot of rain? Was it windy? Honestly, it really wasn't really all that bad. It was honestly just like a normal storm. It was just funny because everybody's like, oh, my God, it's a hurricane. And, and Californians are like, uh-huh, yeah, rain, wind, yeah, whatever, no biggie. Um, and, then yeah, literally on Sunday, we had an earthquake, you know, right. out there in Ojai. So it was fairly close to where I live. I felt it. I was like, eh, everybody's like, oh, my God, are you okay? I'm like, it's, it's California. No big deal. It's nothing that we're not used to. So. And it was really funny because I was talking to my wife about it. And she's like, oh, my God, there was so much damage everywhere. And I'm like, damage? Like, what? That makes no sense. There's nothing out there. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, what? And she goes, oh, yeah. All the roads were messed up. And I'm like, oh, I thought you meant like buildings collapsed. Because, you know, when you're like on the east coast and you have a hurricane, everything is destroyed. It's like a tornado. It just destroys the entire coastline. Here it's like, oh, yeah, they had rain. And they had some more water and a little bit of earthquake. And some of the roads were like, like – you know there's mud on the road that's about it and i'm like yeah that's that's california so yeah it's been kind of crazy how about yourself it's good
1: over here <laughs> no hurricanes yeah. it's what's funny here is like where we live uh it gets pretty hot and here it was like 90 and they're like oh my god it's so hot i'm like no this is <laughs> this is nice what are you guys talking about You're like 90 this is I'm beautiful like, yeah, I'm pretty,
0: this is the most amazing weather of all time Yes. yeah
1: I guess it's just that, you know, people are acclimatized to different environments. So it's a little different for yeah. everyone.
0: I guess it'll be different once you once you hit the snowy season, huh? It's like 12 degrees out there. You're like, oh, this is cold. They're like, oh, this is nice weather.
1: Yeah, I was here last year for it and supposedly it was one of like the worst winters. But uh, it was all right. It sucks, you know. I mean, it's some days suck. I like the snow. I don't mind the snow. But when it's windy and cold, that's when I'm like, nah, I'm good.
0: <laughs> that reminds me of a job i did out there in meeker one time and man that was the coldest i had ever been yeah that wind chill is ridiculous yes sir especially when it's like there's no trees in between you and it yeah nope. it makes for a bad day yep so uh what do we guys talk about today so today we're going to be talking about who owns safety i know there's a lot of talk about safety culture and to kind of Mirror that, I want to talk about what is safety and who owns safety, Because I think there's a big misconception that safety owns safety. That makes sense, right? Uh, well, if, that, if it's a safety problem, that's a safety team problem." And oftentimes I have to have conversations with um, ops managers and tell them like, "Well, you understand that safety is owned by you. You and your team are the ones that traditionally own safety. We're here as a support team to give you guidance and obviously make sure that you guys are doing the right things or, Hey, if you have questions, we're here to protect you. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the day to day operations, a lot of that stuff really comes from your, your managers in those sections. Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I know traditionally, so there's like a couple of ways to look at it. We could say traditionally, like you said, a lot of times ops would kind of just push and say like, Oh, that's a safety related thing that belongs to the safety department. Oh, this guy got hurt that's your guys' problem. And then, but the actual, from the safety point, from the safety professionals point of view is like, no ops isn't, is literally, or is the ones that are ultimately responsible for safety. And I'm kind of like, in my, in my point of view, yes. And no, I think we got to stop saying ops is responsible and we got to stop saying safety was responsible. So like, when somebody says, like, if, if, if I was at a company and, and an ops guy said, like, you guys are responsible for that, I'd be like, no, we are responsible for that, me and you. Yeah,
0: the company, uh, yeah.
1: Like, all of us together, it's not ops is responsible, safety is responsible, the employee or executive team is responsible. It's literally everybody in the co- in the organization plays a part in the role of, of uh, safety and culture and and all of that combined. And so it's not, I think we got to kind of, in my opinion, we kind of got to get away from like, away from it's ops is responsible and we're a support team or we're responsible. Uh, it's like literally, we have to learn to work together.
0: Cause yeah, if you will not exactly have a good culture,
1: if you can't work together.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent, because at the end of the day, if ops is calling out safety issues and let's say they're taking it to the HR teams, right? Hey, this person consistently doesn't follow the rules. This person consistently doesn't do anything and HR goes, yeah, we don't care. Right. That that adds to the culture. Right. Versus, oh, hey, you know, ops is is not calling out things and HR is telling them, hey, make sure your people are there. Uh, Again, it, it does become a partnership. Everybody has, you know, stake stake in this entire claim as far as the company right because it's not you know one division's rir it's everybody's rir right that means the company as a whole has had losses and now it's costing the company more money to operate which means you know especially on slower years or recessions hey you know there's not that much money left or there's not that uh, surplus of work that's coming in there may be cuts coming along and people don't often realize that
1: Exactly. But I've also seen it like in your example, I've seen I've seen it flip the other way where safety professionals are like they're pushing too much towards the op side. Like, that's not my responsibility. I shouldn't be doing safety meetings. They should be doing I shouldn't be doing safety trainings. They should be do safety training. I shouldn't be doing audits. They should be doing audits. I shouldn't be doing behavioral based stuff. That's their responsibility. They're ops. And so it's like, okay, I get it. Ops is responsible for safety, but you gotta find that happy balance and then on top of that like exactly like what you were just finishing with is um it is a company you know it has come down to the the company's metrics but also as a safety professional especially as you get into the higher level like safety directors or vps of safety you're you're being graded on the um safety metrics like that's all that's all you can be graded on really is like how good is the company doing in safety so you are also you are responsible for the safety of the company, whether you like it or not. It's just building that partnership because you got to have ops on board with you, or no, or nothing's ever going to change.
0: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. If you do not get that buy in from ops, you're never going to get that buy in from your 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 employees. Right? There's nothing worse for a safety culture than somebody who just really pushes too hard on safety. I've seen it many times where a safety person will come in, you know, we call them the safety police. They'll come in there. They'll leave a bad impression in people's mouths. They're like, man, I'm the boss. You do what I say. And, you know, they just beat people over the head with their quote unquote safety. And then people are like, man, you know, I don't care what that guy says. I'm going to do what I want. And, you know, I've seen it many, many times, especially because that's typically how I got many of my jobs is I'd be coming in after that. And they're like, what kind of a person are you? I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm on both sides, right? I'm a company person. I'm watching this company develop. I understand that sometimes safety has to push and sometimes safety has to take a, you know, take a little bit more load on, on their back, right? It's more difficult to be able to judge both sides and look at it from an outside point of view. Right, because it's a bunch of different levers that you can pull. And if you're always pulling the safety lever every single time, you're not gonna be the go-to person. You're not gonna become the person that companies or even your ops managers, you know, want to partner with. Right. I've seen many people in many industries become, you know, stuck because you know they become the grumpy, the grumpy old man. You know, I used to work with a gentleman like that many years ago. And, you know, he, nobody wanted to work with him because he was, it was like, oh, that is the grumpy old guy. And yeah, you know, he's been doing work for many, many years and he was always very hard on safety. If you didn't follow it, the letter to the T, then guess what? You were going to be in trouble and a lot of people were like afraid to lose their jobs. So it's sometimes you have to be understanding and you have to be lenient and you have to work together because I've, I've had times where ops managers Come up to me and they're like, "Hey Joe, yeah, I made a mistake. Mama, like, what's going on?" They tell me the situation. I was like, "Hey, don't worry about it. Let's fix it, and you know, move on." And they're like, "You're not gonna, you're not gonna get me in trouble." I'm like, "No, hey, you know, hey, sometimes we make a mistake, and at the end of the day, as long as I mean, obviously, we didn't do something that was illegal or unethical. Completely, perfectly fine. You know, there's a lot of gray areas. We can work through them and work together. You build those partnerships because guess what? At some time, you're gonna need them to push something for you." And those people will be your best friend.
1: Yep. Couldn't agree more.
0: I had a previous manager once tell me, uh, he actually had some really good advice that You know, relationships are like a bridge, right? There's going to be often times where you're going to have to put a heavy load on that bridge. And so it's really important that you build that bridge up before that you have to put that load. And it could be anything. It could be, hey, I have to give you some really tough information or have some feedback for you. Or, hey, I have something that's going to, that's came down and it's not going to be very popular and it's going to suck. But as long as you've built up that bridge, you built up that relationship, it's easier to take that, that, heavy burden onto that bridge
1: hmm. yeah i mean i've heard similar analogies but i've never heard that one before so that's that's a good one that's a new one for me
0: yeah he used to work in uh uh trucking so it was it was kind of oh. an app yeah it was kind <laughs> of an app It's like oh that actually makes perfect sense you know yeah you have to you have to build those relationships every chance that you get because you will have those tough conversations like hey yeah this person messed up really big or hey we we have this new audit that's coming out and it's going to it's going to have you know a a huge time cost to it or number uh you know financial cost to it and you're like uh but you know they're like yeah I get it it's a it's a give and take and it, it literally has to be that type of relationship a give and take yeah so I know when we were kind of planning out this episode a little bit
1: you had something that I thought was interesting that I kind of wanted to hear your opinion on so like what is safety's role in safety
0: well one of the things that I've I've always said safety's role is we're we're the experts we're the SMEs we are the go-to people right much like if you have an HR question it doesn't mean you can't go to you know, uh, an ops manager to have that question. But if you have some difficulty or you're in a gray area and you're like, "Ah, I don't know how to make this decision, we are the experts, right? We are kind of the, I wouldn't say the gatekeepers, but we're the people that encompass everything in safety, right? We're the ones that are safety focused, right? Ops is trying to get production and quality in there. And as I always call us a support team, because we are, are looking at it from a different lens. Right, we want to make sure that we're keeping the associates safe. We're trying to make sure that we're reducing injury rates. We're trying to make sure that if a, a person goes to the doctor, they're getting the, the correct treatment. And we're also the experts as when it comes to law, right? Loss prevention in in both financial uh, implications from you know insurance versus OSHA regulations, right? And as much as we we talk about OSHA, they hardly ever go out to actual job sites unless there's a, a formal complaint, but there's also lawsuits. Hey, uh, this job was unsafe and hey, this was unsafe and they may call you in. Hey, what what did you guys do for this, this and this? Oh, we this is the type of program that we had. This is the kind of stuff that we did. We're protecting the company in other ways that ops managers typically don't deal with that, especially in the oil fields. A lot of the supervisors and, and ops managers didn't really understand a lot of the safety stuff. They're like, what's an RIR and why does that matter? And, you know, they don't understand these metrics, but, you know, when you talk to them, especially with welders, oh, how many inches are we getting per day and how many feet and X, Y, Z, they understand those things. So we have the same type of responsibilities ops managers do, but obviously we're more focused towards the safety side, much like HR or any of the other types of support groups. I know that especially some companies have exported their IT teams, right? You know, you'll see these third-party contractors manage large companies with, you know, laptops and IT infrastructure, those were all support teams that are geared for one specific part of a business. That is critical, right? Because if you've ever seen a company that had really bad safety incidences, especially in the oil fields, you get kicked off a job. You're talking about 30, 40, 50, 100 people getting kicked off a job because there was one accident too many, and they could have been completely unrelated. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've had many times where I come onto a job and I'm getting a phone call, and a phone call from the customer is never a good thing hey what's up hey you have a team here i remember once one site specifically we had welders welders jumped on a piece of equipment it was a uh a, a all-terrain forklift just because they want to get the job done the safety person goes hey are they trained and they weren't the whole team went home for a week right you imagine what that's going to do to your paycheck yeah definitely
1: um wait were you done with that story
0: yeah. I mean, that, like I said, that that's pretty much what we do is we're trying to prevent that loss because now if you think about it, not only do those people lose wages, but now that project is a little bit more at risk because we have a whole week of them not working. Of
1: course. Yep. So like, I mean, that's just basic, like how, why safety is important. Not it's important to prevent injuries, but also there's a business aspect that you could lose work. You could lose money. The employees lose money. The company lose money. Everybody loses money. Um, so definitely an argument for why safety is important. Um, so I kind of just had some hypotheticals while you were talking that I was thinking about. So hypothetically, do you think that a company could set its structure up to where they didn't need a safety team because the operations teams were focused on safety and did become experts in their portions of safety? Do you think that something like it's like HR? Right. You only need one HR person to handle the legal stuff. You don't need a whole HR team that's going out and doing things all the time. Do you think it's possible that you, had, you could have a good enough culture that you didn't need a safety team? Maybe you have one person that's just doing the, the legal stuff, the medical management.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, of course, it depends on the size and the scope um i mean i i myself am a safety uh consultant for a, a company of more than 30 people and as far as the day-to-day operations i hardly ever touch it i just have conversations with the owners they have conversations with the supervisors and that's where that safety culture is don't get me wrong i get called in every once in a while hey you know what joe we need to have a talk with our guys you know they they've they've been kind of slacking a little bit but i think it's because when we set up that culture they understood, hey, safety is our gateway, right? Especially if they're doing high-risk operations, safety is your gateway to work. If you are an unsafe company, companies will not pick you up, right? So I, I 100% think that it's possible, but it all depends on the company because I think for a company of, like, let's say two to 300 people, that scope may be more difficult, right? But, yes, I, I think that it is possible to have one person kind of at the helm, Um and they're the ones that look at the legal stuff. Hey, they're the ones providing the legal trainings. They're the ones working in the insurances. They're making sure all of the records are, are good and, up and kept up. But making sure that if it's driven, it has to be driven from the owners or the, the, the general management. You know, the senior leaders on the site have to be the ones pushing it. Yeah, they may not be experts in what they do, but then they would export that to someone like me. Hey, Joe, we had an incident. And and again, I've been called in for several times for different companies for the same thing. Hey, you know, we've had an incident. Can you ha- help us handle this because I have no idea what I'm doing? No worries. I know how to speak the language. I know what they're looking for. I set up the the conversation a certain way and, you know, again, that's my expertise. But the day-to-day stuff, they're the ones that handle it. I've worked with companies that literally have only called me in for certain investigations. Hey, Joe, we had an OSHA complaint and we don't know how to handle it. All right, no worries. Uh, I'll go in there. I'll see what's going on. I'll have the interviews. We'll put all the paperwork together. Here you go. And then they can have the conversation with OSHA and and boom, we're good to go. So a hundred percent, I, I, I completely know I I've seen it done, but again, it's one of those things where you have to be bought in. You have to realize the amount of money that's going to be going in or the money loss that you can perceivably see when your, when your safety isn't there.
1: Hmm. No, that's a good point. I would just kind of, I'm glad you used a real example. That's pretty cool that, um, just because like we were saying in the beginning, like ops is responsible for safety. So if they actually took that responsibility seriously and, and you really built that strong foundation that strong culture, um, then I was just curious what you saw, if you still needed this really robust safety team or if you could do something like exactly like what you're explaining you do already for a company. So just curious yeah, and, your thoughts on that.
0: And, and it, again, it's all based on the company. I've, I've had to kick off a company, a subcontractor off one of my jobs because they didn't have safety. You know, we, um, they pulled from one of our water systems and messed up our fire pump and another instance we caught them in a combined space without any permitting and we're like what are you guys doing and sure enough i look up at uh look up their um you know their contractor management you know they have a bunch of issues within their safety realm right they've had osha violations they've had a really bad rir they've had you know um their their workers comp has gone up not just that but even worse is that you can actually watch their man hours drop year over year. So as their, insurance, as their insurance goes up, as their RIR goes up, they're losing money. And I had a conversation with their supervisor because, you know, they still had work to do for us as a subcontractor. And I said, hey, I don't know if I want you guys on this job site. We actually kicked them off for about two months. So, you know, imagine all the work that they could have had. But they didn't because of these safety violations. And I said, look, you guys are going to sit there and you guys are going to try to blow smoke. Oh, yeah, we'll make sure we do better. Da, da, da I'm like, I told him, like, I looked at your guys' your guys's record. It does not look good. You guys need to figure something out and get yourself a consultant because your guys' culture is going to end up costing your company all the money. I told him, like, that's why you guys don't have any man hours. And he looked at me and goes, how do you know about that? I'm like, well, you have to record it. Right. Those are things that are recorded is your man hours. And if you don't think that contractors look at that, hey, why? Why has your man hours been going down if we're in a really good economy? Oh, man, maybe your safety isn't very good. Maybe your quality isn't good. It's a very good indicator of the health of your company is you have a lot of man hours. Right. Yeah, we get sometimes you're going to have some slow periods. But if your year over year or your three year trending, five year trending is, is going downwards, and I think this company went from like 200,000, I think they were down to like 87 um, last year. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of telling you, I'm like, you are not trending the right way. You guys will end up closing. And I told him, you may want to tell that to your, your, the owner of the company, like, hey, you know, the safety guy here had some really interesting comments, and maybe it's a time for us to, to rethink our structure you know cuz 100% i think it can be done you just you have you have to find value in it you know and i think that comes with maturity intelligence and and maybe some business business sense you know yeah
1: i think the i mean except for the very last part i think i don't think, i think you need to i think you need to show value in it that's the important thing from the safety professionals show the value in it because um, i think most of the time as professionals we know the value of it that's why we're in the profession, but showing the value of it is usually a little bit more difficult, especially when you're oh, trying yeah. to show the value to owners, executive teams and ops in general, sometimes is that's literally like a, a huge portion of our job, right. Is to, that's what we're supposed, that's what we're supposed to do basically. Um, oh yeah. And then, cause then if you do that, then you drive the, if they understand the value, well then guess what? Then they're going to translate that into the work and they're going to translate that down to the workers and the employees and that's literally how you build a safety culture. Unless you that's, disagree.
0: No, I completely agree with that. It's, it's like everything, right? We have to justify our jobs. Why? Right? If not, then guess what? We're not showing value. Guess what? We're going to end up not having a job much longer. So I think, I think you brought up a good point with that as far as, you know, the more difficult aspect, especially when speaking with some of the the senior leaders of a company, right? You're you're looking at the C-suite, and you're like, "Hey, so um, we're going to be costing, let's say, half an hour to an hour of your operations management's time, right? Any business time is probably the biggest cost, right? We need to take them an hour of, let's say, thirty of our our senior leaders, not senior leaders, but our 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 frontline managers, supervisors." to do this audit, right? BBSO, whatever it is. And they're gonna look at you and go, why should they be doing this, right? Don't get me wrong, yes, safety team should be doing it as well, but they're gonna say, well, why should they be doing it? Well, we're finding that when supervisors aren't involved, this is the cost on average for injuries and we need to lower that down to make it worthwhile. And then you would say, hey, this is how much these, these people are making. This is what the cost savings would be overall, right? Because like you said, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. And at the end of the day, again, it is a business. We can't sit there and overload our our ops managers and go, hey, well, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And they're, you know, all of a sudden, all they do is safety stuff. They never have time to do their own jobs. Exactly. That's
1: basically what, what I was trying to get at is that, yeah, it's, they have their own jobs to do. And yes, they are responsible for safety, but just finding that balance sometimes I think for safety professionals is difficult, especially because you're kind of getting as a, especially like as a, like a newer or kind of like mid-level, Ooh, yeah, you're kind of getting it from both sides. You're, you're being told like, Hey, you have to, you have to get operations buy-in or you have to, they need to be involved, especially now. I think, um, when you start looking at like regulations and standards and like consensus standards and stuff like that, they're really pushing towards like involvement, um, from, like a leadership or executive team executive level leadership or management or the employee itself. So I think, uh, for like a newer person, it's just a, it's a bit of a struggle finding that balance on what should I be doing and what should I not be doing? And, and honestly, to me, that really comes down to that. That might be very different at one company, uh, than to another. Right. And not that one is right or one is wrong, but at some companies, maybe this the supervisors do have the capability and are doing all of the the training or or maybe they're doing the like the, a, a large part of the auditing, which I think would be pretty cool um, but at other companies that just not might not be feasible. so the safety team or the training team takes on the training and the auditing, and supervision gets involved in different ways. So I think as a safety professional, especially if you're the the leader of that company, your job is to determine. Where's operations going to get involved? Where's my team going to get involved? How do we interact with each other? How do we build the relationships with each other? Um, and then how do we make this all work so that everybody wins in the end? The company, ops, safety, everyone.
0: Yeah. I think I want to really kind of call back to what you said earlier is that that word balance, because that's what it is. You know, I, I've told many people that it used to be, you know, I had three things that were in a company, you know, you had safety, you had quality and you had production, right? If you have production or if you don't have production, excuse me, you're not making anything, right? You're not making anything to sell, right? Versus if you're making stuff, but it's of low quality, you're not going to get as many people to buy it, right? If you're trying to buy something like a, a piece of – like a like a tool, right? You're not going to go to the Dollar Tree to get a tool that you're going to le- need for a long term, right? I'm not – I mean, I'm not saying you wouldn't, right? There's times where you're like, hey, I just need this in a pinch. I don't have enough money to buy a nice one, right? It's it's not a long-term investment. It's just like, hey, I need this real quick, bing, bang, boom, right? And then if you don't have safety, guess what? All that money that you're making from your quality and your productivity goes on the backside, right? You're you have paying higher insurance rates. You're, you're losing productivity because of your your team members being hurt. You may have, you know, low quality produ- production because of, you know, morale, all those things. One of the other things I've recently added to that balance mix is customer experience, right? Because I think one of the other portions to this, and again, I, you'll see here this customer centric focus now is operations are our customer, Right. What we do does affect them and we have to provide them a good customer service. Kind of what I talked about before, you know, the grumpy, the grumpy person on that team, nobody wanted him to approach. He was very unapproachable. His customer service was not there yet. Yeah, don't get me wrong. His audits were good and he was able to do the work that was given to him. Right. Especially on larger projects. He did the work, but when it came to that partnership, it wasn't there. That customer service, that customer focus for that uh, for the ops managers, was not there. I remember a bunch of supervisors telling me, "Man, I don't like working with that guy." And I'm like, "Why?" You know, because he was in a different division than I was. I'm like, "He's a pretty good. He's a pretty cool guy." He's like, "Yeah, but he just he's just so by the book, and there's no leniency. Like he doesn't understand like our perception that sometimes safety has to, you know, has to dial back a little bit." And I said, "That's a perfectly great analogy." on how sometimes we can, we can be so focused in one space that we neglect the others. And I think, like you said, we need to balance. We have to find that balance. And, and when, do we, when do we tip in one favor versus another? Because it's always going to be everybody trying to pull their different ways. But sometimes you'll find, especially with me, and I'm, I'll be the first person, and I've told everybody this at the time, I'll be the first safety person that tells you I'm not always focused on safety you know yes i love safety and and i've spent many years learning about it and i have a podcast all these other things but sometimes you have to look at it from an ops position hey yeah you know we need to get this we need to get this ball rolling why because this this is a very critical piece of equipment or this is a critical process or we're, hey we're behind on this project and we really need to speed up is there something that we can do that's within safety right that's not on the whole unsafe but can we dial back safety a little bit to let productivity or quality get in there just a little bit more? And, and I've done that plenty of times, right? It's that's where it gets into the realm of risk management.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I think, um, I think that's definitely something that I, I try to really drill into newer safety professionals that are, are, that I like hire or bring onto my team. And it's, it's, I, and I know I've talked about this in previous episodes, but it really comes down to those, um, it's kind of like your analogy earlier. It's like the deposits and withdrawal trends, like the transaction, the relation relationship transactions, basically like sometimes you got to give operation stuff. In fact, not sometimes like, especially in the beginning, you should be giving more than you're taking 100%. Like does that's just my, my perspective is if I'm new or if I'm just learning to deal with a new ops person, I need to be giving way more than I'm asking in the beginning because I got to build that trust. I got to build that relationship. And I just want to have a bank built up of like, here's all the stuff that I've done for you and that I've tried to help you with. And I've, I've tried to support you with, um, because it's just going to make life so much easier. The the further down the road you go, if you come in and you're instantly trying to make those takes and and get things done and you're not showing that you're giving at the same time, you're, you're that relationship's going to be done. It's going to be really difficult to rebuild your, your bridge, like you talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, and then I even, I'll even go as far as like, I know you said, I'm not trying to have safety guys do operations jobs. Um, but I have no issue saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go head over to this job. Like, do you, is there anything you need me to take over there for you? Like it's not going to cost me anything. Right. To, I'm already driving over there anyways, and I'm only going to help this guy. So I think doing stuff like that, these small gestures, Sometimes make a huge difference in the long run because you're just you're showing that you're a part of the team. If you want them to to embrace safety, sometimes you got to embrace ops and show them that you're willing to help them get a job done or not delay a job or get it done quicker, like you said. So, but it's all about picking those moments. And and the big thing that you can fall into a little trap you can fall into with that is creating expectations that you're going to do that. So you do have to be careful there. You know, especially as a new person, you don't want to create the expectation that. Now you're the delivery boy um, yeah. or girl. So fi- finding that line and really being outspoken on like, hey, this isn't – I know that, that I don't normally – or like I'm just heading over here. Do you need me to do this? Like I'm already heading over there. Just making sure you're really clear saying like I'm not doing this just because I want to help ops but that um, that you're there to just build that relationship. Hopefully that didn't confuse you – or didn't make it confusing at the end but <laughs> –
0: well, I think I have a perfect uh, example of that. You know, when I, when I worked at uh, one industry, when I first came in, it was brand new. There's a whole bunch of brand new managers. And I'll be honest with you, when I worked with them, my team really didn't get along. Um, there was, you know, I'm going to say perceived slights. But there, you could tell that the safety team hadn't built up the relationship the rest of the team had um so it was very difficult for us in the beginning you know they treated the team like trash nobody gave us respect and, and it was very difficult for us to get anything done every time we reached out said hey um we need to implement this thing you know everybody was just no we're not dealing with you guys you know we were kind of the red-headed stepchild if you would for for the team and at that time, I saw that, and I was like, you know what? How do we build a better culture? And what I did was I looked at the, the key uh, the key stakeholders, right? The main players, um, not just the senior leaders, but also some of the more tenured. You could tell, like, hey, this person had a lot of influence. And so what I started doing is, like you said, small little gestures. Hey, um, Matt, I'm going to be taking. I'm going to be heading over to this crew. Is there anything you need me to take over there? Yeah, or you know, one of the best things you can do to buy um, buy people off is buy them something, you know, listen to the conversations and they may say, Hey, I love Snickers. They don't let that go. And you, you know, one day just go out there and buy a Snickers for them. Hey man, I, I know that you like Snickers. I bought you, I, I, you know, you can pay it off. I bought myself one. I was like, Hey, you know, who like one, Matt Ego, Matt. I got you a Snickers, right? Small little gestures like that. Help. Let me give you, let me, Hey, everybody listen in real quick. Here's a trick. Physical contact bribery. (laughs) Here's here's a thousand dollars. Eye contact, going out of your way to say good morning and say their name, because everybody loves hearing their name, and shake their hands. The three critical things that will always get you buy-in. Because when you go there and you say, Hey, good morning, Matt, and you shake your hand and say, you know, good morning or fist bump or whatever it is, that right there builds a lot of rapport. Hey, how was your weekend? You know, you listened to the many episodes ago. It's not always about business. It shouldn't always be about business. Hey, how's your kid? How's, how's everything? How was your weekend? You know, if you're listening to the conversations and you're hearing, oh, yeah, I'm going to be going to Six Flags this weekend. Hey, you know, next week. Hey, how was Six Flags? Oh, yeah, it was really nice weather. Oh, it's my favorite ride. Build that rapport with them. That Those little small, little, you know, conversations is huge for us managers what i actually learned recently actually it's something i practice anyway but it was just confirmed small talk right the the couple of minutes before the actual meeting sits there and you're you're there with the hr manager and your ops managers or your customer those are your key moments for small talk hey how's you guys going oh yeah there's lovely weather yeah i'm going to go to the coast this weekend or whatever you guys are doing those couple of minutes of small talk build up over a a couple of months build up over a career and like you said Matt that helps build those bridges that helps build that that equity into that bank so that when you do need to have those big guys hey oh yeah you know Joe Joe seems like a reasonable he's always saying good morning shakes my hand looks me in the eye knows me by name knows about my you know my kids and how old they are and and, you know all those kinds of things those little couple of minutes of 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 camaraderie helps out
1: yeah that's honestly that is something that I really struggled with, uh, coming up new to safety. Um, and I didn't, I had to learn the hard way through feedback and then just through like, um,
0: like, like performance reviews. No, no, no. Like from,
1: <laughs> you know, you hear feedback sometimes like, uh, I've heard feedback cause I'm, I'm more of an introverted person. And, um, so it was really difficult for me to like, it I wasn't doing it because I, I was being trying to be rude or be mean, I just felt awkward, and I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable doing it. So to me, it was not something that was like should be perceived badly. Um, but like you said, one, it goes a long way, and two, some people, if you don't do those things, automatically that perception is going to be that they're not polite, they're rude, they don't like you, they don't like being there. There's like there's all different things that people will draw from their experience and make this, make these uh, biases or these perceptions about. And when I, I really, really saw this when I came into my operations role here, my last role, when I came in, the previous manager was a younger manager. i had been promoted to manager, super smart, super smart person. Um, but when the culture there was terrible, super high turnover rate, um, people were constantly quitting. No one had lasted in a manager position, position more than six months, um, oh, wow. except for this, this person, but they had, they moved, they had moved positions like four times either way. The first thing that like I did when I got in there is I went around and I just, I talked to every employee one-on-one at least once talked about like, well, one, you build a relationship with them. What do you do here? What do you, what do you do at home? What do you like? You just got to build that kind of stuff over time. Basically Mm -hmm. what I found out is that everybody hated this person because (laughs) they don't say hello in the morning. They don't shake anybody's hand. They don't acknowledge people when they walk by them. They don't say goodbye when they leave. And it's just, it's like all these little gestures that most people would just consider polite. Um, and that person just didn't do this. And -hmm. when I got to know this person, they didn't even realize that that was occurring. They just, they just kind of like, it was just their personality. They, they didn't realize that it was affecting people that much and that their own team, uh, perceived them as rude, mean, and like just uncaring And it's just because that person's personality, they didn't, they didn't realize that that was even really happening. Um, So, and I I think (laughs) I was in a similar, I was in a similar situation coming up as a newer manager also. So it's just, it's really, really, for some people, it's really something you got to work on. You really got to pay attention to, am I, am I being polite? Am I going a little bit as a, as a leader? you need to be going above and beyond you need to be shaking hands or or saying hello yep. making sure me uh, for me it was even just when i look at somebody for the first time of the day or throughout the day if i'm if i make eye contact i smile now i don't care i don't it's just something that i've had to tell myself to do i've had to build in the habit it's just because if you don't smile and you look mad people have told me lots of times like why do you look so mad why do you look pissed off it's, i'm not pissed off it's just my face <laughs> that's just how it but, <laughs> but now i have to make it a point that if I make eye contact with you, I at least give some small smile, a smirk, something so that you know like, hey, I am not – I'm I'm here like with you. Like we're, we're good uh, because yeah. so many people, their background is just – they perceive body language and um, what are they called? There's a word for it I can't think of right now but all of those little things build up over time and create these perceptions. Um, so. Oh, yeah.
0: and It's funny that you say that because – I am the same way as you, but the opposite in that at work, it's like a mask. You know, I go out there and I'm, you know, a very gregarious. I always talk to people. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And then when I'm with my family, I don't talk to nobody. Obviously I'm, I am content with sitting in the corner, hanging out, just, you know, relaxing. And sometimes my wife will go like, Hey, so why are you so standoffish or stuck up? And I'm like, stuck up. What are you talking about? I'm just sitting here relaxing. Well, you're not out there talking to anybody. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, and I I find that because I'm at work talking and I'm in meetings all the time and I'm I'm having to constantly, you know, partner with people, that my my levels or or my ability to or my my desire to talk to people gets extremely low. So when I'm at home, I don't want to talk you to You just nobody. want a break. You just want to chill <laughs> yeah. for a little bit. It was funny because I was working from home the other day and my wife finally figured it out. She goes, That's why you don't want to talk when you get home. And I looked at her and goes, What do you mean? She goes, when you're in meetings, you're the one talking a lot. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a senior leader. I I'm commanding a whole entire business. I, I have to delegate and I have to talk in different ways. And I, I have to talk to my direct reports and I have to talk to different people. And and she goes, I've never seen that. I mean, of course I'm at work all the time. I've never seen that side of you. She goes, now it makes sense that you're always dealing with people in a day-to-day capacity when you're outside of that, you, you tend to like, you need to refill. I'm like, yeah, but sometimes people are like that at work, you know, they may be talking to a lot of people at home, but when they go to work, they're, they're the opposite. They're very introverted.
1: Yep. That's literally that that's me. We're like the opposites of each other. Yeah. But it's something that you need to be self-reflecting on as an individual, figure out where you fall on that spectrum. Do you fall on yep. the that side or the show side? And then what are you doing to remedy that if it's, if needed, right? Um, So like I realized that I needed to do more at work. So I said, Hey, I'm going to make sure I shake hands. I'm going to make sure I smile at people. I'm going to make sure I pay attention when they're talking to me. I'm making eye contact. There's a lot of basic things that you can do that um, make a big, make a big difference. So,
0: you know, I, I was once called a, a politician and I didn't really understand what that meant until further on in my career where it's, it's to the point it's, it's like, like I said, it's a mask, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not gonna say the word fake. It may be disingenuine, if you will. But oftentimes, I will sacrifice certain portions just so I can build up that that you know relationship with those people. Y- like you said, Matt. Hey, yeah, you know, it may be a little bit more work for me on on the front end, but I'm thinking long term. I know that this will pay off in the end, and and sure enough, a hundred percent, it does. You know, maybe two, three weeks, maybe five to six months down the road but those again those little those little things do build up over time and they become beneficial then you can say hey look you know what these these small little sacrifices that i that i did up front is now making dividends and then you wouldn't have to make those sacrifices anymore so uh i think one well
1: one thing i would add to that is i don't think you want to be yeah i think you were you were struggling to explain it also but like you don't want to be fake because people are going to know that you're not genuine unless you're just like really really good at being fake you don't want to be <laughs> fake right sociopath. but but um, you do just want to make sure that you're you're hitting the basic thing so I, I almost I think for you it'd almost be like um, dialing it up or down maybe like maybe not being fake but using your genuine personality and then just kind of maybe adjusting it you know to to match whatever you needed to match. Because um, you don't want to just be some made up person that's that's fake all the time, because I think most people can see authenticity and see, see if you're being genuine or if you're just being like, you don't want to come off as you know, like one of those car salesmen that comes up and just you can tell immediately, like, everything about them is fake. This is not how they talk. This is not how they talk to people. Um, so yeah. You don't want to come off as that. Like, I don't want to come off as fake when I when I'm trying to build these habits. And I want to do things that I think are genuine to me, but will still make that impact that little 50 cents a day deposit that will over time build into that that large lump sum.
0: No, 100%. And I think you're right. It's very difficult to explain exactly what I'm talking about, but it's that it's genuine plus like, hey, this is who yeah, I am. Genuine but I'm going to go a little bit over on that genuine side so that people go, oh, OK, you know what? Joe's always there because, yeah, I'm I'm there to build partnerships. And, you know, I've told that to my team as well. Like, hey, you got to understand that Sometimes you know you're going to you're going to be like you know what yep sure I'll take that on just because you realize that doing this small small deed this little bit of you know hardship that you're going to take on will make it easier that next time in six months when you guys are having these conversations they're like oh yeah Joe let's work together on that perfect you know that's where you want to get into you have to think about the longevity of the career not not sacrifice your short term gain for a long term goal so.
1: Cool. Well, I think we hit really well today. I mean, um, we're coming back, you know, we might be a little bit rusty, but I think we did, we had a good episode today on who owns safety and kind of talking about our, our perceptions of it and how that led us to some other things. So anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up?
0: No, that's, that's pretty much it. I think we kind of glossed over a lot of the different topics as far as approaching your partnerships with your, with your teammates and and not just inter, inter department cross function, but also, you know, working with your customers and, you know, these, these tips work in every, everything, right. Your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your family members, all of these tips are beneficial relationship advice.
1: Yeah. One hundred, And I would even say, well, real quick to, to wrap up, I think um, one thing at my in my new position, um, it's a smaller company and I am on the training and consulting side, but when I'm not training and consulting, I am in the office. And so a lot of times I'm doing direct customer service. Somebody comes in and is like, hey, I need a harness, but I don't really know what kind of fall protection I need if I need a restraint or an arrest. So I, I go out there and I help I help them. Um, is and- that
0: why you called me the other day to what, what harness they should be wearing? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyways, my one of the things that was a weird question, <laughs> one of the things the owner was worried about in my interview process was like, "Hey, you don't have any customer service experience like or sales experience. Are you going to be able to deal with customers? Are you going to know how to talk to them? Are you going to know that kind of stuff?" And like immediately I tried to explain to the owner like at, like safety is customer experience like you were talking about earlier. I was like, "I don't think you're going to see that like I I have customer experience, customer service experience. It just maybe not the traditional sense that you think of, but if you're a good safety professional, like you said, you have customer service skills. And so, um, yeah, just today she was, she was telling me like, like she was blown away because she didn't think that somebody without a sales background would be able to talk to people and like maneuver them around and build those relationships so quickly. And I'm like, well, this is like, that's what makes a safety professional good. Like one of the things that makes them good is that they have the ability to do that. So, uh, I think it is important. So, that's all I got for this one. Um, so I'm done, Joe. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it for me. Like I said, uh, thank you all for listening to us. And we appreciate you guys. Again, you guys can reach us out at uh, thecultureofsafety at gmail.com. Uh We're going to try to get back on to the Reddit. I've been getting more on back on Reddit again. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Let us know. Hit us up.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening again this week. And we will have another one out next week. And we'll talk to you later.
0: All right, take care.